Hey, everyone. Hi. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Alice. Hey, Reza- now. Greg, what are you doing here? Hey, what do you mean? What I- Allison, where, do you, where do you come from, Greg? <laughs> I came from the world of childish, and I just want to make sure that your listeners know that you're just as wonderful on the, on the other podcast you do. <sighs> what if they don't have kids? Don't need them. You don't need them. A lot of our listeners actually tell us they don't have kids. We talk about sex. We talk about all sorts of dirty stuff, but also parenting stuff. Yeah, so. Check out Childish, new episodes every Wednesday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Everyone, hi, hello. Welcome to another episode of Allison Rosen is your new best friend. I'm very excited to introduce my guest today. It's Tim Heidecker. He is an actor, comedian, writer, director, producer, musician, podcast host, father, activist, maybe, sort of, in a way. Um, He is so prolific, so you know him from many projects, but... Tim and Eric's awesome show and all the related offshoots and related projects. Check it out with Steve Brule um, on cinema. And then most recently on Showtime, uh, a show which I just binge watched, Moon Base 8. <laughs> and he hosts the very popular uh, call-in podcast, Office Hours Live. And then also a prolific the second time I've used the word prolific in just what feels like a couple sentences, but that's how true it is. Um, put out a number of music albums, not comedy albums, earnest ish music albums, including sure. one that I, that's stuck in my head right now. Fear of death. Tim Heidecker. Hello. Well, hello, Allison. Thank you so much. That was a terrific introduction. I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, so trying to figure out. If we should talk where to about start. what'd you say? Where to start? Is where to start? Conundrum. Ex- exactly. Um, you know what? Let's just I do want to talk about Moonbase 8 because I took sure. a I've become obsessed with the vow and seduced and Nexium. And like I'm not a true crime person, but all of a sudden I'm all in. But I took a break from all of that to watch Moonbase 8. So I do want to talk about that. But let's first talk about Fear of Death because I love this album. Um the the title track, Fear of Death. The speaker is someone who is very fearful and feels that he is not, he's done growing. Um, mm-hmm. and he's sort of just the, well, uh, it's fear of death that's, that's keeping him going. Um, yeah. that doesn't sound like you. Who is the speaker of that song? <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody in, in my, Everybody I play or talk or whatever, if I'm writing a song, it's coming from someplace in me. Um, I think uh, a lot of times my songwriting is sort of this um, id or this uh, subconscious, uh, you know, uh, shadow. cathartic shadow. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's the it's the darker thoughts you have and then you you know, manage them and don't dwell on them or, or become obsessed with them. But I do think, um, excuse me. Um, I, 
I, I, you know, I'm 40, we're going to be 45 and it, I'm at a place in my life where I think those kind of existential questions about, uh, you know, life and the future and, uh, and facing my eventual death are starting to become like more present in my daily sort of back of my head, my unconscious. Mm-hmm. So, uh, when I'm writing it, it's like, it's not something I'm, I'm too intellectual about. It's like, I'll pick up a guitar and I'll start singing and, and if I feel a sentiment coming on, I'm, I guess, you know, that day I was thinking, uh, you know, I, I'm done. What, what do I, you know, what, I, I'm much happier at home. I don't need to go out and, uh, socialize. Um, I, I'm married and I have kids and I'm happy in that moment, you know, and then that kind of led to this, you know, sort of, uh, maybe making that a little bit more dramatic for the sake of the song, but. It is a funny, or I don't know, funny is a weird word, but it's a, it's sort of a, an interesting way of looking at why we live is one of the reasons is we don't want to die, you know, and mm-hmm. we, 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 there's a survival instinct in us. So, that, you know, the song kind of comes out of that, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's, it's, it's great that I have the opportunity to um, expunge these, uh, these feelings through music and, and kind of get them out of my head in a way, or at least acknowledge them. And not just kind of keep it internalized. Right. Well, I definitely relate to that. Also being married and I have two little kids. Um, this sort of, and it's it's an unpleasant realization. I mean, maybe it's it's midlife crisis, da- middle age kind of dawning on you. It's, it's this unpleasant feeling that like, oh, I'm maybe I'm no longer in the phase of my life where I'm building and adding. Yes. Maybe this is where I'm kind of um I just am the thing I'm going to be. Yes. Uh that that's also that part of the song of uh I think I I'm done growing and um I've been as you've sort of listed my my credits I've done a lot of stuff and I've accomplished a lot of things I've wanted to do. <laughs> so uh and I not that I've ever not that I've achieved any kind of success that I don't know. I don't. I mean, I guess you could probably tell, ask this to any artist, Bruce Springsteen or or whoever, and say like, "Have you achieved your goals?" And I bet most people would say, "No, I'm still trying to do this thing that I haven't really done perfectly yet, mm-hmm. or I haven't." You know, there's always n- new stages or new levels to to what uh, to what you're trying to do. Um, but yeah, it, it, you know, I made a lot of TV and I made a lot of music and I've made I've done sort of lots of variations of what I wanted to do as a kid. And so I think it is a, a period of time, especially this year where it's like, okay, now, you know, now what, now what, now what can I do now? What do, and also what do I want to do? Those are two sometimes very different things. So you managed to um, be this a satirist who's known for absurdism and then you do the music which is a little more straightforward you are tim heidegger the guy that hosts the podcast who is you um essentially right yeah yeah i mean as 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 we all are however we are when we present ourselves publicly which is not always the exact <laughs> right the way we, yeah it's i'm maybe it well it, it hues pretty closely to the actual yes. Tim Heidegger. I'm going to guess without knowing you well. Yes. Um. But then there's also these these fictionalized versions of Tim Heidegger that exist out there, and it's really someone should write a term paper on it. Like it's very it's very postmodern, and it's really interesting how you're able to to 
straddle all these worlds, it seems to me that you are not concerned with that creating confusion for people. Is that true? That's true. Uh, I certainly 10 years ago probably was very excited about it or more than 10, you know, as I'm doing these things, as I'm building these things, um, that part, you know, I grew up watching Andy Kaufman and, uh, you know, I think other people too, like Steve Martin and, and Albert Brooks, even who's, pers- if, you know, Albert Brooks is confusing maybe for some people, but he was also a stand up comedian before he started making movies. And his, his act was a, a bad comedian, like a really hacky failed comedian, you know? So there is, there's a precedence for this. And there is this like, the Steve Martin that presents himself uh, as the host of Saturday Night Live as a as that kind of really obnoxious cr- person was always Steve Martin and it was just a character you know that he was doing uh but wasn't going by a different name so mm. you know and Eric and I were starting there was something really funny in the characters uh in the kind of stuff we were doing and uh the way we wanted to present it, that was very much about this kind of obnoxious, um, you know, self, uh, self-promoting self kind of attitude. So that kind of is where it started. And then some of it might just be lazy and some of it is just like not really, you know, and on cinema, for example, it started so without, so without really much thought, you know, it was just me and Greg entertaining ourselves. And then it seems silly to just have a fake name. It just seems hacky in a way to us or to me that, you know, I'm going to be Joe uh, Feld, Feldman. <laughs> well, why? Who cares? You know? Uh, so that, and for a while it was a fun way to behave in, in the way we did press and the way we talked about our work and kind of be in character. But uh, you know, that, it gets a little old after a while too. So, well, I guess what I'm wondering is with the music, where people might expect that it's going to be comedy. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, and 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 part of me doing press and talking and the way our my publicist might put a press release out and things <laughs> like that are to try to help explain that. And we knew that it was going to be, you know, people have short attention spans. I don't expect them to like you know, people are busy. They don't have time to parse sort of it. like parse my bullshit. And what am I, <laughs> what am I, what am I, uh, up to these days? But, you know, now that I've got some albums under my, there's a, there's now a way to talk about my music. That's not necessarily, uh, is the joke on us? Like, you know, a music, a music publication is going to understand that I can also put out music and I like doing that too. And I'm not trying, it's not a, the pranks, it's not a prank on you to listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, thank God. Um, yeah. <laughs> you said that when you were young, you had a lot of you know aspirations and you've accomplished a lot of those things. What was the first, what did you want to be at the earliest age? Um, I, I think I aspired to be a talk show host. I think that was the first thought, really, that my parents tell me that you know, seeing Johnny Carson on TV or whoever was on Merv Griffin during the afternoon was probably somebody I thought, or, and then, you know, Saturday night live, I thought I was going to be a part of that show in some way. Um, but yeah, doing something in front of the camera acting, I'd always did theater 
and um, and had bands and stuff. But I think the earliest thing would have been, yeah, something on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you grew up in Allentown, which I don't really know what that's what Allentown is like. What was your childhood like? Uh, I worked in a coal mine uh, <laughs> from the age of nine. No, um, it's it was it's a former steel town. Uh, it's a an industrial town, but it, we were living in the suburbs. We um, my dad had a car dealership, a, a small Ford car dealership that that his dad had gotten uh so we were you know there's a there's a perception of that being you know we were rich kids but we it was a ford dealership in the 1980s so it was very <laughs> um well, plus if was, you're working in a coal mine i don't think of that as rich no i'm i'm, I'm saying like we my dad was a small businessman yeah t- and uh we grew up Catholic, but not strict. I went to Catholic school because it was, you know, a better school than the public school. And, uh, uh, you know, was involved in theater and some some sports. So very normal, pretty normal uh, middle class suburban situation. Do you have siblings? A younger sister. Three years younger than me. What are your parents like? Uh, they're... They're funny. Uh, they're. Uh, I think my dad's very sarcastic and very uh, smart, and kind of you know doesn't trust authority, uh, and and finds a lot of humor in that. My mom's more musical, a little sillier, and I think I get both of those two different traits. Mm-hmm. You know, I use both of those traits. So you wanted to do something on television, and then did you? Did you? Where'd you go to college? Uh, in Philadelphia, Temple University. My dad went to film. medical school there. Oh wow! Yeah. Um. So, uh, you went to college, and then I guess what I'm what I'm trying to get at is like, what was was Tim and Eric the first thing you did that that kind of hit? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I had bands. I had a band called the Tim Heidecker Masterpiece. That was a satirical kind of spinal tap kind of band and we were making a go of it in new york and playing uh, playing out a lot and did a couple videos and made a couple records but going back to philly uh after graduating and then going back to philly and making films sort of short films with eric as a as just a recreational activity just as a fun thing to do uh turned into something that we started to take a little more seriously and put more time and energy into making them. And, you know, after a year or so doing that, we had, we had a nice, uh, a little, a little library. In fact, we, we put out the first thing we put out, uh, after we, because some of this was stuff we had done in college, but we, we put out this VHS tape called the best of five years. And it was like a best of compilation of our shorts this was before our first cartoon or anything. This was just for sort of for friends. But that's that was like we had that attitude, right? this very arrogant kind of uh, how great we are uh, <laughs> vibe going from the very beginning. And how did you and Eric meet? Uh, in college, we were in freshman uh, dorm, lived a couple doors down from each other, and we're in the same classes, same uh, same interests in the in the film and comedy world really not we didn't really think about it in terms of comedy uh we just we were just we just were funny together tim and eric has such a recognizable particular aesthetic 
particular look. Um, how did that come about? And is that more, were you guys both into that look? Was it more one of you? Um, I think it was both of us. Eric had, um, after college became, had a, had a job as a videographer for weddings and bar mitzvahs and, and, you know, parties. And, and he started actually, uh, filming, you know, videotaping these things. And then he, as a small business kind of started editing them and, and, and sort of found this world of like that, you know, uh, consumer editing style that was funny, you know, it was already really funny to us. Uh, so our first films had a little bit of that. Uh, we, we had done stuff in college that had that kind of sort of star, I guess you could say like a star wipe aesthetic to it. You know, that <laughs> was kind of, kind of cable access. Mm-hmm. Um, very, it was, you know, I think if I really think about it, there's something very tangible and easy to actually make that kind of stuff. So you could make something that was kind of cheesy uh, and get away with it being funny because you're intentionally doing that. But you couldn't, you know, if you, we tried to make serious movies, like I tried to make a serious movie in college because that was kind of the assignment and they came out just terrible, you know, because you don't have the production, you didn't have the resources and the, or I didn't have the, the experience to do it the right way. And so, you know, you kind of, by mate, by sort of giving into the lo-fi quality of it, you could kind of, you know, make something really funny uh, with the tools you actually had. Um, what was your serious movie about? <laughs> it was like it was like about these white, kind of white uh, Philly guys who were like racist, and they uh, they were kind of racist, but. You know, one then there's a scene where they're around this black guy, and they were kind of like hit, that was sort of the turn in the movie. And they're like, you know, when they're not around, when they're around black people, they behave differently. And that was kind of the, you know, it was a little ten minute thing. Mm-hmm. But it was just like, you know, I, I'd gotten these actors that weren't very good, and it was really serious and really, uh, it was like you know, kind of a Jim Jarmusch kind of thing, black and white, gritty, and it was just you know. It's not really what I wanted to do. I, honestly, I just it was kind of the assignment to like tell a write a script, tell a story, make shoot it, that kind of thing. But in, on the side, we were you know making prank phone calls and <laughs> shooting ourselves with with wigs on and you know being being idiots. But was there something you were noticing about? And I'm not trying to make this more of something than it was. Um, mm-hmm. So if I'm headed down the wrong path take me off of it but like i'm just wondering was there something you were noticing about race relations that you were mm. making a statement about i'm it mu- very well could be i think you know i was becoming fairly politically awakened at that time and living in philadelphia uh was a good place to to see up front sort of the you know the, tr- the racial issues happening all around you um but I think in the in uh, te- at Temple University, their uh, their film school is very conscious about making films that had social impact or that could have a, that has social commentary or point of view, and they really pushed that to to, to a little bit. So it's part part of it was the, the 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 direction that the class was going in, I guess. But um, yeah, I, I I I thought it was interesting to look at. I think the film was called uh, Men You've Met and it was sort of mm. me looking at men you know which I always have still and still do is you know complicated 
uh, not so perfect men that I I could easily uh, sort of relax myself into being if I want if I really wanted to to blend in with my my kind. Your kind being men from Philadelphia or men? Yeah, men, white men from you know east from you know uh, Germanic Irish. Uh, descent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I read an interview with you where the interviewer was asking about something that you had tweeted um, mm. after. Oh, and I'm forgetting which. I'm forgetting the the event that prompted this tweet, but it was like white men or white white teens. If you're you know dabbling in the in white pride stuff and feeling freaked out today and need to talk right. to someone, DM me. It's probably after Charlottesville, I would okay. think. Yeah. 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 Um, and mm-hmm. then you were saying t- in this interview that I think it was in the outline, you were saying that um, like the interviewer was pointing out that it's, you know, it's, it's interesting that you are open to talking to people like this. Is, and I think, and yeah. you were saying that you, you, you can understand how someone could fall into that. Like almost like yeah. maybe you could have. Yeah. I, if I, if I can't, you know, there's a lot there, but I think, um, I recognize that in my own work that they're not, not, that, not that there's anything racial or even, you know, and not in any kind of gender way or in any kind of racial way or, but there, there is uh there's an, a nihilism in it and there's mm. a, um, a rejection of norms and a rejection of the main stream. And, you know, I still believe in a lot of that, or I still have my issues with kind of the conformity of mass entertainment or the conformity of political parties or whatever. But I could see the guy who's also, who feels that way about the world, but, and then finds a, a, an, a group that is, that is uh, providing a real, you know, almost like in a in the punk movement or something, a real kind of re- uh, rejection of the norms and rejection of the uh, of you know what's accepted in society or whatever. Um, and I understand how young men f- can find themselves in chat rooms and in you know uh, groups where a it's it's there's a humor in sort of the. Uh, the name calling, you know, the, the sort of mean, uh, nastiness of that, that 4chan world that I could see being, you know, as a 13 year old boy, <laughs> which I was, I was in those kind of groups in, in the very early days of the internet doing terrible things and doing just, you know, being a total little piece of shit, you know, um, not really understanding consequences and not understanding that there are real people on the other end and that stuff. But yeah. So that's just to say, I mean, I I would think you, 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 there's a, there's a, a grace period maybe where if you're uh, you, you fall into that, maybe I understand that that can be appealing and there's a sense of community there, but at some point, you know, the, it, 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 there should be a way out for those people quick, quickly to say like, you know what, this is, I I have some fundamental, you know, moral, ethical issues here Mm -hmm. (laughs) that I can't be associated with these ideas anymore. So I understand that there are people and there's kids that might've seen something in our work that felt 
dangerous or reject, you know, sort of uh, anti-authoritarian and then are confused when I am, say, I'm, you know, supporting Joe Biden or that I'm anti-Trump or that I don't uh, agree with the nastiness of the alt-right, you know, and they get sort of like, but I thought you were, I thought you were edgy, dude, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And I just say, well, no, I'm a human being with what I think is some kind of moral compass, you know, that doesn't make me better than you. But if it comes down to like basic fundamental issues of equality and, you know, that kind of stuff, it just, it was just never been a, been room for sort of compromise there for me. Were you angry when you were a teen? Was I angry when I was a teen? No, I don't think I was too angry. I was, uh, no, I had, I don't think I had anger issues. I'm sure I had my moments, but I wasn't, I was pretty happy. I mm-hmm. think. So the messing around in chat rooms was really just kind of messing around. It was like prank phone calling. Like, uh, you know, I, I think I can remember one, there was a group, <laughs> there was like a soap opera chat room. <laughs> and I went in there and said, you know, my, my baby's choking on food and baby's turning blue. And, and you're right to not laugh. It's terrible. But what was funny, (laughs) was funny to me was that people in this message room were like, stop chatting and go. (laughs) It was like, what should, and I just kept, my joke was that I just kept going like, what should I do? What should I do? Oh no. Oh no. And you know, it was funny to me and my friends because that obviously wasn't happening. And the, but that was the kind of stuff, you know, just, just dumb, dumb and kind of gross, you know flaming out on on people in AOL message boards. I didn't do it very often, but you know, when you realize that that potential was there, it's the same as a prank phone call, you know, it's like you could entertain yourself for hours doing that kind of stuff. You said that your dad was um question, would question authority or was anti-authority. Um like in what way? Um you know, he was um like an example would be like watching uh, televangelists on TV and getting a, and getting a kick out of that and laughing at <laughs> Morris Cirillo was a guy that we loved and we just would crack ourselves up watching that. Um, yeah, he just didn't trust politicians. He, he's not a he's a very libertarian kind of guy. Um, yeah, that's about it. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't like living off the grid or anything like that. Mm-hmm. He's still fairly. Um, lives a kind of normal life, but he's politically libertarian. I would say th- I would say that. Yeah, does that create conflict between you guys? We yeah we we've uh we've kind of created a safe space where politics do not are not discussed. Uh, it, you know it, it 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 gets a little awkward because uh, you know he was staying staying with us when uh. Trump caught the uh, virus a few months ago <laughs> and you just don't bring it up. You know, it just doesn't come up. And then you kind of like go in the other room and talk to my wife. Like, did you see <laughs> what's happening? Is he alive? So yeah, it's just, you know, you, you end up going around in the same old arguments and it's not really worth it. Mm-hmm. 
Listen, it's never too early to start gift shopping for the holidays, especially because today you can save big on a gift they'll use every day, Raycon wireless earbuds. I love Raycon wireless earbuds. They're super comfortable. I, uh, well, I've been listening to a lot of show tunes. It's just my thing lately. But I've also been listening to Tim Heidecker's Fear of Death nonstop. And I recommend you do the same nonstop with seamless Bluetooth pairing and a comfortable noise isolating fit. You can start listening right away and keep listening for hours. The audio quality is amazing, comparable to what you get from other premium brands, except Raycons start at half the price. Go to buyraycon.com slash best friend today to get 20% off your Raycon order. But hurry, this offer is available for a limited time only and you don't want to miss it. That's buyraycon.com slash best friend to get 20% off your Raycons by Raycon.com slash best friend. Um, I also want to tell you guys about something that I love. It's called StoryWorth. They've been on the show before. Every time I mention it, uh, listeners go out and get it and then they tell me how much their family loves it. So StoryWorth, what it is, it's a subscription you buy for probably a family member, but really you could buy it for yourself. You could buy it for anyone. Uh, and each week they receive a prompt uh, and like... um well, you can kind of choose the questions, but there's a bunch of, of questions you choose from. And so it'll be like, you know, tell me about a prank you pulled when you were young or tell me about learning to drive or what was your for did you have odd jobs, all sorts of things like that. Uh, and then they respond to the prompt and then StoryWorth collects all of this. And at the end of a year puts it in a hardbound book. So you have a book of memories from this person. I got it from my dad, someone I thought I had heard every single story of his and I discovered stuff I didn't know about him. And I love that I have this um, for my kids. So StoryWorth is an online service that helps your loved ones share stories through thought provoking questions about their memories and personal thoughts. After one year, StoryWorth will compile all your stories into a beautiful keepsake book, keepsake book that's shipped for free. Give your loved ones the gift of spending time together wherever you live with StoryWorth. Get started right away with no shipping required by going to storyworth.com slash best friend. You'll get $10 off your first purchase. That's storyworth.com slash best friend, storyworth.com slash best friend for $10 off. Okay. How did, you've been married since 2007, right? How did you and your wife meet? Uh, she was a background artist on, uh, our, on awesome show. And she had come down from Canada to appear in the episode. Uh, I don't know, background art. She was like, uh, in a classroom with, uh, some other, uh, college look like not, <laughs> she's not, in college, she's old. She's in her twenties. I was in my twenties too. But anyways, she was a f- fan for, of our first show Tom goes to the mayor and we in those days we would cast through like MySpace mm-hmm. it was we were not really we didn't know what we were doing so we had put out like sort of to people come and be in this uh, classroom sketch and she came and we also had a mutual friend and that night went out and had dinner and uh kind of uh been with her ever since wow did you always want kids um I think by the, yes, by the time I met Marilyn, I knew I wanted kids. Yeah. By the time I met my wife, um, I think there was probably a time in, you know, college when I probably wasn't thinking about it very much, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I think, uh, yeah. And after I kind of settled in as this, this is, oh, I, my job is, is what I, this is what I do. I make, I can do this as for a living now. And I just felt, yeah, I, I, I knew that I wanted kids. 
What kind of dad are you? I'm terrific. I <laughs> <laughs> I'm like the oldest brother in the family more more than anything. Uh uh we play we do, we there's a lot of my daughter is we're like the three stooges. My there's a lot of physical uh slapstick going on. My daughter thinks it's hilarious to kick me in the shins uh, <laughs> a couple times a day. She'll come up and and do it sort of covertly. She'll walk up like, hey, how's it going? Boom! Ah! You son of a... And I throw them on the bed and I, you know, wrestle and stuff. And uh, But yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's great. I don't, you know, I think... I don't, I, I don't lo- like... I don't... I think the real parents would be honest with you and say, I don't like playing like trains with my kid, you know? I don't like that. So there's, there's like lots of tedious, boring elements of, of, especially when they're like three and four, you're like, and the train goes around again. Okay. And you just want to be like, I want to do anything else but this, but it's the more, the older they get them. I think you can, I mean, I play music with my daughter. We do all kinds of, you know, playing and writing and drawing and all that kind of stuff. So it's great. Um, There was a video that you did where you were asked to eulogize yourself. It's amusing in the comments to see people go like, oh, phew, I thought he had really (laughs) died. Um, But you said um, about yourself that you could have been more patient, more kind, and more empathetic. Uh And I was just wondering, do you really feel like you need those are things that you should have been more? Sure. I mean, we can all be more of those things, right? I, uh, I'm, I uh, have issues with all those things throughout in various different ways. I mean, they're not they're not to the point where they get me in kind of trouble or anything, you know. Yeah. Um, I think in my y- younger comedy days, there was probably less empathy in general, and it was more about what's going to be the funniest thing ever. Less worried about the people that we were making fun of or uh or even working with. So there's probably some of that that comes with growing up and uh thinking about life and you know. So and yeah, I'm a fairly impatient person and um it's easy to get me riled up. So <laughs> uh but they're all like they're all like, you know, in that manageable zone. They're mm-hmm. not like, I don't need some kind of, you know, uh, what do you call it? Shock therapy or something. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you strike me as like a very warm, nice person, but maybe I'm being fooled. Thank you. No, I tried to, I mean, that's my, that's kind of my natural inclination. I think, uh, my, you know, my, uh, I've presented myself publicly and so for so many years as like a jerk in various characters that that right rightfully maybe is the way I'm perceived. And sometimes on my pot, like I don't have, like I said, I don't have a lot of patience. So if, if somebody's being a, annoying or, or, you know, um, not getting to the point or, you know, I can, I feel comfortable, you know, not necessarily just being the nicest person about that. <laughs> Also, night being the being the nicest person in the room isn't always the most fun person in the room, you know. So, mm-hmm. um, I have my opinions or things I don't like. I've talked to you know, I, 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 I I'm not uh, Father Teresa here, uh, but yeah, I mean, I I think if on a one to one basis, uh, if you saw if we were at a party or, you know, 
th- there's a sense that, yes, I guess I, I'm probably, I'm pretty nice. I try to be pretty nice. All right. Sorry. Sue me. <laughs> <laughs> but I also like making people laugh. And sometimes that makes, you know, those things don't always go well together. Mm-hmm. Um, is there, I mean, is there anything in your past work that you regret, like that you feel was, was mean spirited? Um, I mean, there, there's, you know, there's stuff in awesome show that is, you know, the joke is the casting and that sometimes Mm -hmm. is not fair to the person involved, but it's tricky because those people, everybody in that show loves being in that show and there is never any duplicity about it. There is never any, um, like, ha ha, we got you. And then they are calling crying and saying, how did you, why did you show, you know, everybody involved in the show, you know, the non-actors and the people that are kind of not, um, who, who you're used to seeing on TV, you know, always are just like, when can we do this again? You know? So, <laughs> It's never, it never feels like we're intentionally exploiting or intentionally exploitive, but you know, there it's a, it's a, it's sort of a compact you make with the audience. We're like, well, if you think this is funny, then we're on the same page about this kind of stuff. And I just grew up watching whether it was Letterman where they would have kind of oddballs on or, um, you know, just there, there's a whole, there's a whole sort of kind of comedy where that comes from. And I was really in love with that. But um, I would, I think you just like, and also uh, culture changes, you know, there's things we probably, and I can't think of a great example, but there's things where Eric and I would probably say, uh, we probably wouldn't do that anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, we wouldn't play that. We wouldn't play that joke the same way because of whatever it is, gender issues or you know, talk the way you talk about women, anything like that has changed so much, even in the past five years that it would, it affects the way we, we write because we don't want to just have, you know, just put stuff out there just for the hell of it. We want there to be some thought to it. So all that stuff, I I don't try, I don't think it's worth kind of looking back and having regrets or anything like that, but you know, that, that's the way I think about it. Um, so Moonbase 8, yes. but this question actually applies to all your work. As, as I'm watching it, what I'm wondering is, is, it, is everything scripted or is there some improv? Uh, well, let's, let's see if I can answer that right. Everything is not, everything is scripted. Not everything, <laughs> it's scripted, but there's lots of room for improv. Mm-hmm. So there's always a pretty good, especially for a show like that, which is pretty traditional in my view, even though it's still weird. Uh, it's pretty plotted out. It's pretty planned out. There is scripts. And then I think you could almost tell the scenes where you're like, okay, this is a scene where these guys did the take and then they went off and had a little fun with it and painted around the corners a little bit. So it's a mix. There's definitely always a sense of going in there with a plan and a, a expected con- expected idea of what you hope to get out of it and then also leave room for magic to happen or for fun to happen. And in something like the courtroom, oh my, I'm blanking on the name yeah, of it. The, the, we call it the trial. The but, trial. Yeah. Was that improv? So that was, uh, that was 
scripted to some degree because we knew kind of what where we wanted it to go. We knew the beats of it. The, there were speeches written. There were questions written. It was kind of built like a court case. It was built, and that we had hired um, actors who who knew who were lawyers to play the part, so that they knew how you should behave. Um, but then my stuff was kind of consciously unwritten because I wanted to very much react to the moment and be unprepared and create the sense of I'm really out of my I don't want to have to remember anything. I just want to react and and almost from like a animalistic uh place uh, mm-hmm. attack and be much <laughs> much more um stupid and you know clueless. So that means don't write anything. Don't have some ideas of where it's going to go, but let me play off everybody else and come unprepared and use that to my advantage. Um, Which was incredibly fun and incredible, like probably the most fun thing I've ever done was that trial because it was, it, you know, the cameras were all set up to basically work like a play where just you weren't thinking about cameras, you weren't thinking about takes, you're just living in that courtroom for a few days and you just knew right away that it felt right it felt real and that everybody just was killing it so it's so funny and so weird uh-huh i mean i mean that in a good way it's i'm trying to i'm trying to uh describe it to a listener who might not be familiar so the character of tim heidegger is accused of 20 counts of second degree murder for selling tainted vape pens vape pens yeah at a concert and Mm -hmm. it's really like it's like courtroom it's like five hours right of courtroom footage like yeah very much like watching any other court Court not a courtroom drama but just any courtroom footage you've seen right yeah like the oj trial yes the thing we looked at yeah and it's because we've did we did we've it comes from the on cinema world where we it was by the 10th season ninth or 10th season so we knew there's so much backstory on that show, so many storylines, so many characters that you could it was sort of this like it was this uh you know this deep well that you could draw from not only to bring up a bunch of characters and storylines but we just knew these characters so well and we knew exactly how they would behave and and uh so yeah it's a very satisfying experience for people that we're fans of that show, you know, <laughs> to see it all kind of play out outside of the show. And um, yeah, it it also caught on with people that didn't watch the show. And that's like really cool too. That's this weird people not sure if it's real or if it is, it's, it, you know, it works on multiple levels, which is great. And then the movie that there was a movie that grew out of that. Yeah, right. Mr. America. Right. Mr. America. Yeah. Yes, where you run for DA? District attorney. District of, yeah, district <laughs> attorney of San Bernardino. As a sort of spite, you know, it's all parallels to the Trump world. It's like the spite the spite campaign, which is I I end up winning this this case, but it was like a mistrial, but I still have some such sort of like vengeance towards the DA that that prosecuted the case against me that I run for district attorney. <laughs> no expertise. Um All right, let's, I want to ask you about Office Hours Live, and then we'll take some listener questions, and then we'll do just me or everyone. Um, Okay. So Office Hours Live, your uh, very funny 
podcast that I feel like a whole community has grown out of, of which my husband is, um, he's a huge fan and he's, oh. he's a Patreon subscriber, nice. uh, listens and watches every week. Um, I didn't realize though that you've been doing this since 2016, right? Yeah. You know, I, I put out an album called In Glendale, uh, which was sort of my first serious record. And I didn't have any way to promote it or there was some promotion, but I, and, and right at that time, Facebook had introduced Facebook Live. And I was in my office at Absolutely Productions. And I just said, well, I'll just go, I'll just do this live Facebook thing and take calls through Skype, uh, put a Skype number out there, and I'll just do this radio show through these two formats, you know? And uh, it was, you know, I'm lucky that I have an audience through Twitter, through my TV shows. I have this. There's just people out there. You could put a phone number out there. They're going to provide you with a show, you know, <laughs> just by saying, me saying, like, where are you calling from? Oh, I'm in Denmark. Whoa. Well, what's that like? You know, and then that becomes a sh conversation. So it was really fun. And I it started that way. And and uh, without, you know, I always just wanted to make it a thing that I could enjoy doing without having to really work at. And that when that time came to do the show, I could switch it on and it would just be me for an hour and a half talking to people. And it's from there, it's grown. It's We got taken a little more seriously, but I still love the idea of going to bed the night before and not really knowing what the show is going to be like, making sure that it feels really live and spontaneous. And now I get to do it with my friends, Vic Berger, who's a genius satirical comedy editor, and Doug Lusenhop, who's been with uh, the the Tim and Eric shows from the very beginning. And we just get together and, you know, make each other laugh and talk to the audience and talk, sometimes talk about, a lot of the times talk about what's going on in the world and how we feel about it and get to hear how other people think about it. Yeah, it's it's been fun. Do you screen the calls at all? No. Well, we didn't, we didn't for a long time through Skype because I couldn't. It was just the phone would ring and I'd answer it. You know, it was... <laughs> It was just nothing ever really worked that well. Now we, you know, it's kind of, we've, it's kind of gotten smaller in a way. We've done, we've just went, moved over to Zoom because it, it technically it just works really well mm -hmm. for this kind of show. So we can, we can throw everybody in the Zoom room and there's like maybe, you know, a hundred people in there or something and we can see them and I can choose. Well, let's see what, you know, Joe's got to say. Let's see what Wendy has to say. So. There's not like a pre-screening chat. Um, I kind of miss, I kind of want to, I keep on asking, I want to get that random 1-800 number so we can get truly random people calling in. I really, because you can just hang up on people if they start, you know, saying terrible things or are boring, but I like the randomness of it and the unpredictability of it. And Vic and Doug live with you now, right? No. No, that's a joke on the show. Oh. That's a joke on the show. There's this guy, there's this sort of uh, right-wing uh, sort of Joe Rogan wannabe guy named Tim Poole, who's actually very successful at this, but he's this, you know, a, a streamer uh, talk show guy. And he he has a situation where I think he has this kind of compound or a house where people that are on his show also live there. And it's it's sort of a play off of that, that world. But no, the, the, the Vic has a family and Doug lives somewhere else and we're all, we don't live together now. I think my husband, again, like 
That's hilarious. Super into everything. I think he thinks that you actually have a compound <laughs> in Glendale and that they live there. Well, I don't want to burst his yeah, bubble. I, I, mean, I hope he doesn't see this. Um, okay. But you now you kind of discovered Vic, right? I, I, I kind of literally did. Yes. He sent, uh, he was an on cinema fan who sent us some music videos that he had made based on the show, <laughs> like fan fiction kind of stuff. And his, his videos weren't that great. They were just good songs, but he could, he could edit. And we get kind of hired him to cut some stuff for the show. And then he just, he just went off and found this new way of, of taking, you know, weird video. I remember he, he had this video of Joe Perry from Aerosmith with his horse in a stable. It was really one of the first things he ever did. And it was just immediately, it was just the way he looped it and the way he zoomed in on things. It was just so immediately really funny and really different um, that I think I was like, ooh, you got to do more of those, you know? So, and then it was, it kind of intersected with the uh, 2016, 2015, 2016 Trump Jeb Bush, uh, Ted Cruz, like all those guys were kind of on the news all the time. And I think Vic found a, a way to play with them a lot and, mm -hmm. and it became his thing. And you have two people playing drops on your podcast, which yeah, I love. Doug and Vic. Yeah. Com competing, you know, they're just, they're, they're in a little rap battle back there or a drop battle. Have you always loved drops? Well, I grew up listening to, you know, morning radio and Howard Stern and, you know, that that's such a big component of the show of those shows that I love it. I just it's so fun. It's, you know, it adds a it adds texture. It adds chaos and I love all that stuff. Mhm. Mm um all right, let's take some questions that people sent in, but first I want to tell you if you think you may be depressed or you're feeling overwhelmed or anxious, BetterHelp Online Counseling offers licensed professional therapists who are trained to listen and to help with issues including anxiety, depression, LGBT matters, anger, family conflicts, and more. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs and then get matched with your counselor in under 48 hours. You can easily schedule secure video or phone sessions. You can exchange unlimited messages to communicate with your therapist at your convenience. Everything is confidential. And the thing that I, I like to underline, because I think it's really significant, if you don't like the therapist that you are matched with, you can change no matter how many times um, it is free to change until... So you don't have to feel like, oh, I'm committing. What if I don't like this person? What if it's not the right fit? They will get you to the right person. BetterHelp is an affordable option and our listeners get 10% off your first month with the discount code best friend. Get started today at BetterHelp. That's betterhelp.com slash best friend. Again, betterhelp.com slash best friend. Talk to a therapist online and get help. Okay. So I take questions from listeners. Um, on Patreon. I'm at pat on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Allison Rosen is where you go. All sorts of behind the scenes content, bonus episodes every week, etc. Um, you can watch the Thursday show videos there. The Monday show videos, though, like this one, are on YouTube. And I definitely put on too much eyeliner today. So if you want to see that <laughs> in person and you want to see Tim Heidecker smoking his Sharpie, go to YouTube.com slash Allison Rosen. And please subscribe. I'm basing my self-worth on those numbers. And it's not looking good okay we have a song when we ask they send them in they're wondering how you have been so thanks so much for answering these questions from our fans okay this first one is from greg heller 
former regular on the Thursday show. Uh, the fake feces in the Dr. Wareheim sketch was unquestionably <laughs> the most realistic face, fake feces I have ever seen. Do you know what it was made of or anything about the process of creating it? I need to know. I don't. I I can't. I mean, it's got to have been, it has to have been some kind of chocolate product, but mm. that, that thing is really the, uh, the funniest thing, like the last episode that we put of that is just our crack ups. And Eric really was, I don't know what was going on with him. If he was like a little sleep deprived or something, but he could not get through any, he couldn't get through 10 seconds of that, those episodes without <laughs> cracking up. It was so funny to try to do that seriously. And the, the, if you watch the last episode of that series on YouTube, it's all the, the laughs and you know, that can be cheap, but uh, it's genuinely like us losing our minds. So um, <laughs> very funny day. Do you recall uh, what was like the hardest thing you've done to get through? That's one of them. But I, I think that was more on Eric. I think I was sort of just like, come on, man, let's let's do this. Let's get this done. <laughs> uh, so much. I mean, the on cinema, the, the hardest thing we do in on cinema is the live. Um, we do the live Oscar specials. So those are three hour fully live, uh, you know, insane, <laughs> uh, uh, specials. And there, there, there's a lot of moments of me just like, you know, holding like just oh, cut away, someone cut away. <laughs> Cause a lot of it's improvised. And I, th I think with, with improv, you don't know what you're going to say. Like when you say it, it's the first time you're hearing it. So mm -hmm. that, I mean, the, Greg's the Greg's bad at that. He will go on and on and on. And then there's a great clip of him breaking from one of the specials where he's just look talking about this movie called Cuffs with uh, uh, Christian Slater, and you know, he just he eventually just realizes what the hell he's doing talking about this movie, and he he cracks and the camera cuts away, and you know, so that that's always that always feels like the stress of that is very very intense. Uh, Trice Sanders says, "How did he end up in Jordan Peele's Us, and does he have an interest in doing more horror stuff?" Uh, I was on the set of Moonbase, which just came out on uh, Showtime. That and I uh, got a email that Jordan Peele was interested in meeting with me. Uh, so he came by the set the next day because we were shooting, and uh, he just was like, he sent me the script the night before, and I knew him a little bit through friends and through comedy and stuff, uh, but didn't know him that well. Uh, and he was like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm, I wrote this movie as I'm writing it. I kind of was picturing you in this part." And if you would love to, I'd love to have you do it. And that was it. I was just, okay, whatever you want, man. Like how cool, you know, just the best. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and would I do horror? Of course I'd do any, you know, I'm, I don't, I don't think in terms of genres. I, if it's an interesting project with good people and it seems like it's going to be a fun time, then I'm all on board. Whitney C says, what was his nickname when he was a kid? If not applicable, what nicknames does he have for people in his life? Oh boy. I don't think I had a name. I'm Tim. I mean, Tim is, you know, Timmy and uh Timbo and Decker and uh but uh yeah, not not a big nickname guy. And do you have nicknames for people in your life? Uh, well, my daughter's name is Amelia and we call her Millie or Mill, mostly Mill. So she gets Mill a lot. And my wife is Hun. 
Um, okay. Um, some QAnon people were bothering them about one of his videos. Is that all smoothed over now? <laughs> Nothing's ever smoothed over with these people. There's no smoothing over. Uh, I try my best to explain myself and where I come from. And th- there are videos, you know, from our show, awesome show that are, you know, it's a comedy show. And there was a, a sketch about child clowns, which is just about the stupidest, silliest thing ever. That seems to be some kind of code for uh, the, the, you know, the child sex, uh, satanic sex ring that I'm in- involved in which is not true. And I've said it a million times. I've tried to explain it doesn't do much good because there's a, there's a sort of, uh, you know, the cult mentality is very hard to crack. So it is what it is, but I'm, you know, confident in who I am and uh, the kind of person I am. So I don't really worry about it too much. Do you kind of circling back to what we were talking about before? Um, do you think that they really believe this or are they just messing with you? It's a good question. I think there's def- I think nowadays that there are, there's a whole uh, group of people who who believe some degree, some part of it. Some are all in. Some think that there's a there's there's grades of it, or there's sort of degrees of it that like, well, you're a, you may not be involved yourself, but you're complicit in in <laughs> uh, you know in ignoring it. Like, there's always this kind of you know like uh whatever whatever you want to call that rationalizing your own uh your beliefs like well confirmation bias confirmation bias yeah uh and then there's certainly people that are just jumping on to fuck with me to uh troll me or to uh make me feel bad because of the of what i think you know because of the what i the, what i advocate for who i advocate for um Here's a related question. This came in on Twitter. Kevin Hoyt says, also, this might be a tired subject for the both of you, but you both deal with a ton of undeserved trolls. Could you discuss how you process that negative energy? Well, are your trolls un, uh, undeserved? undeserved? I feel they're undeserved. So I was um, <laughs> the news girl on, on the Adam Carolla show for four years. Okay. So I think that's the source of my undeserved trolling. Gotcha. Um, my... You know, my the way I deal with them is uh, for it's so fascinating to me, and so it's hard for me to, to just block it out because I'm fascinated by people. I'm flat fascinated by why uh, people do things, and and also like I you said earlier, I'm there. I'd be interested in helping these people if they're interested in ch- changing their fucking lives, you know, or you know, or just not living in this world of trolling and hate and. So there's part of me that wants to be engaged in it in some way, but when it comes in big waves and it's come in big waves in certain for certain reasons, uh, I've been blocking people. I block and I move on. What's it called? Bamo? Oh, I don't know that Bamo. one. I need to. Does it bother you? Does it bother me? Of course. I said it to somebody, uh, the great Larry Charles, who's director of many great things. I said, yeah, I've just been getting killed, right? I've just been getting hammered with just the worst messages, you know? And he just looked at me like, it's got to be horrible. And some people th- throw it up. Oh, it's just the internet. That's just the internet. But he really got it. He's like, that's got to really drain your drain on you. You know, it's just really got to bring you down. And 
you know, it certainly it does. And uh, but when you block it, you block somebody, uh, they they're out of your they're out of your timeline, or you know, they're out of your hair mm-hmm. pretty much for good until they get a new account and do it again. But you know, it does it does if you if you block correctly, I think if you kind of then because I still like using the I like being in that com- I like being in the in the community of Twitter. You know, it's like there's great things about it. It's fun. The, my my audience is generally really funny and really it's great to hear what they have to say about things. And there's just a wonderful there's wonderful things about it. But if you can remove some of that negativity, uh, it really does go away. And when you don't see it, you don't feel that mm-hmm. way. And that's kind of the key, you know. <laughs> I tend to mute more than block, but then there. I used to do it, that. Yeah, I but used if, to do that. If someone sends me something like super hate filled or obscene, um, and I'm not a prude, but I I don't need your dick pics, then I will right. block. Yeah, I guess the block makes sense to me now because then they can't really engage. They can't really see what I'm saying, and then then I, they move on to somebody else. I think that like it really is sort of a gamer mentality of mm-hmm. like. You know, there's a, there's, it's their, their Twitter, uh, their keyboard is just firing off, you know, missiles in a first person shooter game. And if there's no target there, then they find another one. So I think them, like just me getting out of their lives is helpful too, maybe for them mm-hmm. <laughs> and for me, cause then they just forget about it or move on. Yeah. I think when it first started, uh, it hurt a lot. And then I got to a point where I was like, oh, I'm able to handle and maybe not even undeserved trolling as much as well. Yeah. Just when you're when you're in the public eye at all, you and it's, mm-hmm. everyone gets it. Women, especially, you know, get negativity. And then I right. kind of got to a point where it started rolling off. Um, and then now I really don't get it that much. But it I'd say I definitely handle it better than I used to. But it always has the potential to feel really shitty. Something I've realized is that there's this part of me that wants, and I think it's why I do what I do, like wants so desperately to be understood. And I think I need to get over that. It'd be so great if that desire to be heard and understood were fulfilled within my true, like my family, and then I didn't have that need. Absolutely. And I think I react much stronger to negativity than positivity. Too. I mean, I get tremendous, lovely notes about whatever I'm in. If I post something about Moonbase, loved it. Thank you. It was great. We, we love me and my w- w- wife watched it last night. Had so much fun. You guys are great together. Ten, ten of those that I just kind of glossed through. Yeah. And then you get one that goes sucked, and that's what I that's what I dwell on. Right. I go fucking sucked. Shit. God damn it. Yeah. Oh well. So. Yeah, the other the other day I got a DM and it was like and a lot of great things and then one was like I'm a fan and I I I I thought the show was terrible and I just you know part uh, of me just wants to go why do you think I want to hear that why right. do you think I like you know a that I worked hard on it and that I like it and I'm proud of it and I'm putting it out there onto my social media and other people seem to like it because there's that there you could see. So just let it go. Let like I don't I don't expect everyone to like everything I do, of course. But people that tell you what they think about your work in a negative way is is gotten is gotten like 
uh, it just is bad manners. You know, it's just sort of, it's sort of rude. It's like, would you say that to me if you saw me at a coffee shop? No, I don't. And right? I don't understand why they do it. It's, <laughs> excuse me, the, the insult from someone that's like couched as well-meaning can almost, can, is worse sometimes than just outright trolling. Cause then you're like, oh, yeah. this is like, oh, this person liked everything else I did. Why did this fall short? And that might even be, I mean, you know, that guy might even be so targeted with his trolling that he's saying that in a way to make me feel bad. He's saying it. I, I'm a fan and this sucks. Knowing yeah. that that's going to even Pro- fuck me probably, up. Probably. Probably. Like, I'll get some that are like, you know, been listening for a while, blah, blah, blah. And it's mm-hmm. like, whatever they say is makes yeah. it clear that like, because I've been outspoken politically. Right. Uh, and so I get... Not a ton because people, I think they know that what my politics are. They know I'm, you know, very liberal. Um, mm-hmm. But still, I will get comments from people. And it's like, if you're listening regularly, this is not a surprise to you. Right. What I think and what I feel. Right. Anyway. Yeah, that that's that, that comes up with me all the time. They go, I can't believe that you started talking about politics. I'm like, dude, I've been talking about politics for 10 years now. So you're not paying attention or you're trying to to get under my skin. And the last thing I'll just say real quick is I people can listen to this and be like, "Dude, you're so sensitive, man. You're so you, you can't be so sensitive." Well, the, the fact is I am sensitive. And I think that is part of what makes me a, a, somebody that's a creative person, you know? Like I thought about this as like writers, uh actors, musicians like we're very we're very sensitive. <laughs> In a way that's like, that's like, that feeds our creativity, our sensitivity. It's not something to be ashamed of. It's like, I'm, I, I wear my emotions, you know, I, I, I pick up on things maybe more than other people do in terms of like, you know, concepts or things that I want to write about by being sensitive to it. So it's not a negative. It's just that that's how I'm sort of wired. That's a really good point. And now I want to say something positive about about Moonbase 8 that will just go in one ear and out the other because you're just going to focus on something <laughs> negative. Um, but I really loved it. And by the end, I was like, no, I need like a thousand more episodes because I just right. want to hang out with these characters. That's very nice. And I think it's, it is a show that you got to kind of watch a few to get the rhythm of the show and to understand the characters and I think the show gets better just by the fact that, you know, when you make something, you just get better at making it uh, for a while and then it gets worse. But for now, (laughs) you know, you start out like, oh, let's try this. Let's try that. But I appreciate that. Um, And I think people that kind of maybe uh, stick with it feel the same way. And I hate to say this. I don't want to make it a gender thing. Women are liking it. And I, just from my own unscientific perception of this, like the reviews that were the better, the better reviews or the best reviews were like written by women critics and like women are right. And I, I don't know, there's, there's like a sweetness to the show that might, that, that might have something to do with, but maybe I'm taking that back. I don't want to say it's just because it's, but does that make any sense to you? Yes. Um, I, my suspicion is that your adult swim stuff skews male heavily. Yes. Heavily. Um, yes. So it would make sense that, uh, whereas this is like you were saying, it's a little more conventional. That's not why women are liking it more, but right. it is. This is the problem. I don't, I hate even bringing it up because 
but I just have noticed like some guys it's are sweet. like sweet. It's got a heart. It's it's like it's about right. you know three uh, misfits who kind of form a family. Yes, and my like the example today, somebody was like my my wife hates your stuff and she really liked the show. <laughs> <laughs> so that's fine. I'll take that. But um, anyways, I appreciate the compliment. I'm gonna accept it and appreciate it. <laughs> Good and process. It has it has Let value it to me. Um, your character who is very religious and has 12 children, what made you want to play him? Uh, it's, it felt like a funny joke. First of all, that he was, had several children and he was off to the moon and that felt like a funny place to start that he was, um, literally a missionary being sent into the heavens and for sort of, you know, not to give anything away, but his pastor is kind of behind this and it feels a little bit like he's getting shoved out the door. Um, so there's that. It, it was a fun to play. You know, I've, like we've discussed, I've played a lot of kind of nefarious or sort of narcissistic jerks. Um, and this character is not like that at all. He's very kind of dumb, but sweet <laughs> and not, not very hard, you know, kind of harmless. Um, so yeah, I, that was a, that's a f- fun a place for me to be to try to do something a little different. I encourage everyone to go watch it. It's on Showtime. You can see all six episodes. And uh, is will there be a season potential season two? We're, we'd all love to do one. I think you know we made this show um, through A twenty four, the great uh, independent film company, uh, a couple years ago, and then on spec without a studio, without like a network attached. So. The, then we they sold it to Showtime and they've been great. Uh, as you know, uh, it seems like they want to do more. We have to wait to find out. You know, you made. That. Did you do all the episodes on spec? Yeah, we what? made six episodes on spec and sold it uh, eventually. <laughs> was that weird for you? It was. It wasn't weird. It was a little like uh, it was great because we didn't have to go through that sort of development. Uh, pilot process it felt like we had john and fred and john kreisel the director and um you know it's really hard to pin everybody down and we just thought well if we were gonna and john riley especially is very much like i don't really want to go through the whole tv development process i don't need to and i just if i'm going to do this and we're going to do this together let's do it exactly the way we want to do it and and do it like a movie where you go off and you make it get it funded and then sell it so that's what we did, but it took a minute to find a home because of the way it was done where most places are kind of like, yeah, we, we tend to develop our own shows and that's how we like to do things. And there were some other space shows, which we won't discuss that were coming in development around the same time. So there was a weird time, uh, but Showtime, you know, came in and loved the show and still does. And I think they're, they've been really smart with the way they've put it out and you know i'm very happy with the fact that it's you know it's a it's a it's a uh reputable Mm -hmm. place you know it's not some backwater weird uh late night cable channel which is also great too it's prestigious (laughs) yeah it's prestigious right (laughs) um or prestigious as some people say but i don't like that 
Um, <laughs> let's do just me or everyone. This is where uh, people share things they think or do and they wonder, is it just them or is it everyone? If you would like to send yours in, tweet them to at A-R-I-Y-M-B-F. That's Allison Rosen's new best friend. Hashtag J-M-O-E and there's a song. Sometimes I ponder on something I have thought or done. Is it just me or everyone? All right. Now you, Tim Heidegger, have a just me or everyone, right? Yeah, I guess so. Um, I have a fear of heights, uh, specifically uh, bridges with ledges where I have the feeling that I could jump off the bridge. And it's a not it's like it's not a thing that I want to jump off. It's a feeling of like, what if I've what if I make this terrible judgment error and jump? I could. I could do it. And I, w- I don't want to, you know. I could so I, I, I it's gotten worse and worse as I get older. And as I've talked about with people Apparently, it's a thing that people have. Mm-hmm. It's a real, it's a real specific thing. This is not just you. Uh, I don't have the one with. I don't find myself on bridges that often. But no. I was in a hotel room and I couldn't go out on the balcony because it was a balcony where mm-hmm. if I wanted to, I could just. No, maybe not. Maybe you I could couldn't leap. have. Maybe I, you could it was leap a balcony over. where I thought, "What if I tried to?" But anyway, right. I was just like, it wouldn't be that hard for me to just hop off the balcony to my death. So I'm not, I can't go out there. It was yeah. very weird. It hit me. It was 10 or so years ago. I was doing the walking across the golden gate bridge and it just, it, I don't think I had it really before that. It just was like, I got to, I literally had to sit down on the, on the pavement and just like crawl, almost crawl back across just being like this, it, that ledge in particular is sort of famous for being f- too low. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like really almost up to your, it's like your hip level or a little higher than that, but it's really, and you're just, you know, you're very high up right in the middle of this, uh, the giant bay and it's kind of gotten worse. And I just, I do really think I need to, uh, to deal with it somehow, but yeah, that's my deal. Are you okay flying? Yeah, totally fine. I mean, you can put me in an enclosed space and I could be up in the moon or mm-hmm. not maybe at the moon, but. You know, I could be high up. And those, uh, those, those, uh, what's that thing in London? The eye with the, the giant, uh, f- uh, f- Ferris wheel. Oh, I know what yeah, you mean. London, I, I don't know the those name, things, but I know what you mean. Yeah. I could sit in those things. Like I can be up high. I just can't be in a position where I could make the fatal decision to, uh, to jump. Right. Which I, I also when would I ever do feel that, that a little bit, um, like at, on a subway platform. What if I just there, decide to just jump off? I wouldn't, yep. but what if I do? The weird thing is I understand that, but if I'm on the Golden Gate Bridge, I could say the same thing about traffic to the left of me, which is going flying by. I could jump into traffic. I don't fear that as much. It's, I, just I, the probably, it's the heights. It's sort of the, yeah, it's the abyss. Mm. I realized I don't, I do when I don't have a fear of heights or rather I have like a, it's a pretty mild one. But when my husband and I were, were house hunting, I didn't want to live up in the hills. 
which mm. is I tried to find anywhere online like evidence that this is an actual phobia. And I don't think this might be a true just me. I have some weird fear of living in the hills for fear that like it'll all collapse. Or what if we need to like get somewhere fast and then we have to do these slow little switchbacks? I don't know. I like the I live actually up in some hills in Glendale. And I like the idea of it's there's very little chance of flooding when the big earthquake oh, happens. There's that's smart. There's no ocean coming up to my. Uh, it'll it'll come up halfway the road, but not up to my house. But you don't worry about your <laughs> your. Wait, do you live on the kind of hills where if you park your car outside your house, you can't even get the door to to stay open? Not that steep. No, 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 no. Okay, and you don't worry about your house coming crumbling down. Not really. No, I don't have that fear. Well, must be nice. Okay, <laughs> let's see. Uh, James Leroy Wilson says, yes. I don't remember any fact while watching Jeopardy that I got wrong. I only remember when I was correct. I feel like that's everyone. Uh, yeah, I feel I, I don't remember much either way, to be honest with you. But. Uh, Chode to Joy, I've burned my mouth approximately 600 times during the ongoing quarantine why don't I learn? I mean, I have follow-up questions like what's going on during quarantine that's different than your normal life that's making it so everything's hotter. Yeah, lots of cookies coming out of the oven maybe. Right. Oh, like, like a hot chocolate chip? Yeah. Oh, I have a question for you. I also have a segment called Snack Chat. This is more snack chat, but I'm I'm doing it inside just mirror everyone. Sure. I know you've talked about your love of peanut M&Ms. Yeah, it's embarrassing a little bit, but I think you should be wear it with pride. How do you feel <laughs> okay. about the other flavors though? Not no interest really. No interest. I uh what do you got? Plain, no thanks. Uh peanut butter, nah, mushy. I haven't gotten into the other flavors honestly. They might be great. You know what I love and for this is more of a California thing, but you know C's candies? I sure do. C's candies, almond, dark chocolate almond clusters or whatever they are. Mm. That's about the best thing, I think, in the candy world. That 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 puts M&M, peanut M&Ms to shame. Interesting. They're unbelievably good. What is in there besides almonds and dark chocolate? It's just like a dark chocolate melted over like three or four almonds. So they make like a little like a little mound of almonds hmm. that are covered in dark chocolate. They're just, the chocolate's just really good. And it's a nice ratio. I think that is key, but I could, they sell them in this little bag and I could eat half the bag very, very quickly in a dangerous way. <laughs> uh, you know, they make almond M&Ms. I'm not a fan, but they do make yeah. them. I, I would, I probably wouldn't be a fan either, but there's something about these C's dark chocolate almond clusters that are very, very special. My C's special thing is they have these things called Scotch Kisses which mm. are, it's like butterscotch wrapped around a marshmallow, but the texture of the butterscotch, mm. it's not thick or sticky. It's um, right. like waxy they do good, in a good way. They do good work. <laughs> I really appreciate Mary C. <laughs> Tim Heidegger, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to be on my show. It was a pleasure talking to you, Allison. Thank you. It was wonderful talking to you. Um. If you guys like what you're hearing, make sure you're subscribed. Listen to my other podcast, Childish, which is my parenting-ish podcast. You don't have to have kids to listen. I do that with Greg Fitzsimmons. Follow me on social media at Allison Rosen. Follow the show's Twitter feed at A-R-I-Y-N-B-F. Um, if you like what you're hearing, 
not only make sure you're subscribed, but and uh and subscribe your friends, but leave us a nice comment, click five stars. That helps. I'm on Patreon, like I mentioned, patreon.com slash Allison Rose. I'm also on Cameo. Tim, I really someone told me recently that I should do the guest plugs before my own, and I really should, but I didn't. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's okay. It's do you not, want me to or should I? Or should you? I think you should do yours. Oh. I feel terrible doing them, but you want me to do isn't them? It, yeah, you do you do them probably better anyways. Well, everyone, follow Tim Heidegger on Twitter and on Instagram. Are you Timothy you Heidegger or Tim Heidegger? I'm just at Tim Heidecker, I think on both platforms. I can't it might be real Tim Heidecker on Instagram, but that doesn't matter. I mean, go for it'll it'll come up if you search the name. It'll come up. Yeah. Listen to Office Hours Live and watch Office Hours Live every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific. Watch Moonbase Eight on Showtime. Um, an evening with Tim Heidecker, which is a um, how would I describe it? Well, it's your stand up, but it's like a a send up a- of self important stand ups. Yes, it's a that's 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 yeah, it's a parody of uh. Sort of a truth-telling stand-up comedy. Did you see the uh, Comedy Store documentary? Not yet. I bet there's a lot to draw from there. Oh, yes. For me. Uh, <laughs> that's on YouTube. And wait, I've, I've got more to say about where they, where they could... Oh, you're on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Office Hours Live. Office Hours Live. Yes, Office Hours Live. I feel like I left out... All right, did uh, I fear mention... Fear of Death? What was it? Fear of Death? Oh, yeah. Duh. Fear of Death, go buy it wherever you buy albums. Yeah, stream it, buy it, uh, however you consume music. I appreciate it. It's really good. Um, Thank you. you will love it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Allison. I'll say, see you later. Okay. And listeners, right. thank you so much for listening. I love you. You matter. Goodbye. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen Show? Rosie is your new best friend.